The reading this morning is taken from Acts chapter 21, verse 17 to chapter 22, verse 1. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come, so do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses, so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know there is no truth in these reports about you but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. The next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused, and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, get rid of him. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek, he replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defence. Well, um, thank you very much, Queenie. So then the uh, man on the screen there is called Archbishop Junani Luwum. 
and uh, he was the Anglican Archbishop of Uganda during the evil reign of Idi Amin in uh, the 1960s and 1970s. And Idi Amin was, without doubt, the worst leader in Africa uh, in the whole of the 20th century. Uh, he was responsible for sort of repeated acts of cruelty and torture against his own people, including uh, um, wiping out whole tribes. Uh, he also banished all Asians from the country of Uganda, and he was responsible for um, persecuting the many Christians uh, in his country as well. But one person who consistently stood against Idi Amin and kept on preaching the gospel throughout this whole time was Archbishop Luwum. He just wouldn't give up, uh, no matter what dangers and what um, threats were made against him. And this is what he uh, actually said in uh, December 1976. He said, I do not know how long I shall be occupying this chair. Uh, I live as though there will be no tomorrow. I face daily being picked up by the soldiers. While the opportunity is there, I preach the gospel with all my might and my conscience is clear before God that I have not sided with the present government. I have been threatened many times. Whenever I have opportunity, I have told the president the things the church disapproves of. God is my witness. And I think that quote just gives a little bit of insight into the kind of person that Archbishop Luwum was. Uh, his persistence and also the consistent dangers that he faced in his role. And of course, uh, shortly after this, he was indeed arrested and then tortured and then killed by Idi Amin. Uh, they even had uh, prison um, vehicles run over his body uh, to make it look as if he had been killed uh, in a car accident. Well then, this morning we come to another story of remarkable courage and bravery for the sake of the gospel as we come to look at a lonely witness and the example of the Apostle Paul uh, in these two chapters of Acts. Like Archbishop Luwum, we will see something of Paul's great persistence in preaching the gospel and also some of the great dangers and the um, threats that he faced. Uh, our circumstances, of course, will be very different to Paul's. Uh, we aren't an apostle, and uh, we aren't all called to suffer in exactly the same way that he did. But yet there's still plenty that we can learn from him, as uh, those of us who are Christians seek to be witnesses for Jesus Christ here in Hong Kong. And so I'd like basically to jump straight in and uh, look at then um, three lessons that we can learn from the example of Paul uh, in these passages. And the um, um, first of them is there on your sheets. It's uh, live a life worthy of the gospel. And I think this is the uh, lesson that we see in the uh, first part of our passage. Uh, Paul was faced with huge misunderstandings and even hostility uh, as people tried to kill him but yet he kept remaining faithful to Jesus and living a life worthy of the gospel and so let's look at some of the uh, misunderstandings which he actually faced and, and we'll see that there's um, three of them here so uh, right at the beginning of our passage as you probably noticed the day actually starts it out well for Paul it's said that he arrives in Jerusalem and he's greeted very warmly by the brothers and sisters there. And they, they praise God for all that God is doing um, through him among the Gentiles. But then, as you probably noticed, uh, things start to go wrong. And, and the first of them is actually a misunderstanding from the Jewish Christians. 
So evidently, if you look at it there in verse uh, 20 and 21, there was this group, a large group, we're told, of Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who have actually misunderstood uh, some of Paul's teachings. Uh, they've been informed that Paul is telling Jews everywhere uh, not to bother with the Jewish law or um, following Jewish culture. Um, but of course, this wasn't true. Uh, it was true, of course, that Paul was teaching that uh, following the law of Moses or being Jewish, those things weren't necessary for salvation. Uh, but yet it was not true that he was telling all Jews everywhere to stop being Jewish. Uh, they had misunderstood him. And so Paul uh, wants to try and make things right with uh, this group of Christians who have misunderstood him. And so he agrees to undergo some purification rites and basically pay some money um, to show the rest of the church that he hadn't completely re rejected his Jewish roots. Paul tries to do the right thing. Uh, but then, unfortunately for him, this uh, leads to the next misunderstanding, which is actually from the Jews themselves. So it's now a week later, uh, Paul's purification rites that he was undergoing are almost complete. Uh, and then we read in verse 27 that some Jews from the province of Asia. So these aren't Jews from Jerusalem, these are Jews from the province of Asia. These are Jews that must have seen Paul previously and were hostile to the gospel uh, that Paul preached. They recognize Paul. So in verse uh, 27, they see him at the temple. According to verse 29, they wrongly assume that he must have brought Trophimus the Ephesian, who is a Gentile, into the temple with him, which was a capital offence. Uh, and so they grab Paul and they start beating him to death. And so uh, as you can see uh, in verse 28, uh, they begin to shout, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. And again, now, all of this was basically based on a misunderstanding. It wasn't true that Paul was against the Jews, against the law, and against the temple. It is true, as we saw a few moments ago, that he didn't think any of those things were necessary for salvation. But that didn't mean that he was against them. In fact, when they grab him he's actually in the temple uh, fulfilling it fulfilling a vow that he's made to to god however none of this uh, stops them beating him so verse 30 tells us that the whole city was aroused the whole place was in, in an uproar uh, people were running in all different directions uh, the temple gates are closed to stop the temple being desecrated in all of the chaos and in verse uh, 31, we uh, read there that they were trying their hardest um, to kill Paul, who was about to get uh, lynched by a mob. And so I think all of this reminds us that if we are Christians, then it is likely that we will be misunderstood. I think we can see this very clearly here from the example of Paul. Paul's trying his hardest to be inoffensive and to uh, follow Christ, but yet people still misunderstand what he's doing and uh, very often I, I guess this can also be true for us in our Christian lives people assume that if we're Christians then we must be intolerant or we must be judgmental or we must be bigoted uh, no matter how hard we try and explain that uh, none of those things are actually true and so it's helpful to remember I think that this is basically how things have always been just as Paul was misunderstood 
And Jesus was misunderstood, so we can expect to be misunderstood too. But then we also have a um, final misunderstanding in this, this passage, uh, which was by the Romans. Uh, I wonder if you uh, noticed that a little bit later on. And we need to remember, of course, that there were Roman troops that were garrisoned in the Antonia Fortress, which is at one end of the Jewish temple. Uh, and what obviously happens here is the, that the Roman commander, uh, we are told later on that his name is uh, Claudius Lysias, uh, he sees the commotion which is going on, and so he comes down with some troops uh, to try and restore order. Uh, so the Romans then arrive on the scene in verse uh, 32. Uh, the Jews uh, immediately stop beating Paul, we are told. But the situation is basically so chaotic and the violence of the mob is so great that the commander orders that Paul be taken back into the Roman barracks for his own safety. Uh, in fact, in verse uh, 35, we're told the violence is so great that Paul needs to be physically carried by the soldiers uh, and the, as the crowds keep on shouting, get rid of him. I think it's uh, worth noting, and I think Luke intends us to see this connection, that these were actually the exact same words that the crowds had shouted about Jesus uh, right before he was crucified, which of course took place uh, at exactly the same place. Uh, so in exactly the same place, Pilate had asked the crowds who they wanted to be released whether they wanted uh, Jesus to be released or whether they wanted a terrorist called Barabbas to be re released. Uh, their response was to call out in Luke chapter 23, verse 18, away with this man, get rid of him, uh, release Barabbas to us. And so Luke's point, I think the um, connection that Luke wants us to make is that we've been here before, uh, just as Jesus has suffered. So Paul suffers too as he follows in his master's footsteps and so the romans then misunderstand who paul was we can see that in verse 37 paul speaks to the commander in greek and the commander says aren't you the egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago and paul says no i'm not i'm a jew from tarsus in cilicia a citizen of no ordinary city uh, please let me speak to the people and so hopefully you can see the misunderstandings and the hostility that Paul faced for the sake of the gospel but yet he kept on uh, living a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ he worked for unity with those Christians who were misunderstanding him and we see here that he was willing to suffer as well for Jesus Christ. He didn't go deliberately looking for suffering, of course, but when suffering came, uh, he was willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Uh, I think Paul says uh, exactly the same thing. So over in um, Philippians 1 and uh, verse um, 27 to 29, Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being um, frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Um, notice that 
Um, Paul says exactly the same thing there as we see illustrated here in Acts. What does it mean to live a life worthy of the gospel? Well, Paul says it means uh, working for unity with other Christians, um, standing firm in one spirit, striving as one for the faith of the gospel, and then also be willing to suffer for the gospel without being um, frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And so then, we're to live lives uh, worthy of the gospel, but then we also see, number two, that we are to make the most of every opportunity. And I think this is really the ne- next lesson that we see from Paul uh, in these uh, verses, so from chapter 21 and verse uh, 39 all the way down to chapter 22 verse 22 make the most of every opportunity i think we can see um three lessons from paul here and the um first of them is i think we see paul's eagerness to speak paul was eager to speak about jesus i think that this is one of the really amazing things about this whole passage Uh, if this had been me I think I would have been uh, pleading to have got back into the Roman barracks as quickly as I possibly could. But yet the amazing thing there in verse um, 39 is that Paul begs to be allowed to speak to the crowd. And so a literal translation of the end of verse um, 39 would read, I beg you, please permit me to speak to the people. If it was me, I'd have been uh, pleading to to get inside as uh, quickly as, as I possibly could. But yet Paul pleads for the opportunity to speak to the hostile crowd about Jesus. It's one of the really incredible things about all of these chapters in Acts, from uh, chapter 21 uh, right the way through to chapter 28, uh, that Paul just keeps on going. Uh, Whenever he's presented with an opportunity to speak about Jesus and the gospel, Paul takes it. Uh, It doesn't matter who it's to, whether it's to kings or governors, whether it's to courts or councils, Jews or Gentiles, Greeks or Romans. Paul takes every single opportunity. He's eager to speak about Jesus. Why does he do this? Well, I think Paul knows the importance of the message. Uh, He knows that the message is true and he knows that God is with him. He knows that God will use him as he opens his mouth to speak. And so he makes the most of every opportunity to speak for Christ. But then uh, what does Paul say? And uh, so we also see here that Paul relates to his hearers. So there are actually um, three times in the book of Acts where Paul gives his testimony. And uh, this is one of them uh, recorded for us here. And each time actually Paul has a slightly different slant or a slightly different um, focus depending on the context and here uh, Paul really seems to um, focus in on his Jewishness. Uh, If you remember the whole reason why this Jewish mob is so enraged and so mad is that they believe that Paul is anti-Jewish and he's telling people to stop being Jewish and um, um, stop respecting Jewish customs. And so Paul here seems to be at pains to emphasize his Jewish credentials And so look with me there, chapter 21 and verse 40, we see that he speaks to them in Aramaic, which of course was their own language, um, Hebrew. Uh, Chapter 22 and verse 1, Paul addresses them as brothers and fathers. In verse 3, he tells them that he was brought up in Jerusalem. 
he was taught by Gamaliel, who was, of course, one of the most famous Jewish teachers of the, the day. And he says that he was as keen for God as any of them were and had even persecuted the church um, before becoming a Christian. And we actually see this sort of um, right through this speech. How Paul really leans into his Jewishness. Uh, I think Paul's point is that he is Jewish and he hasn't rejected his Jewishness uh, just because he's become a Christian. He goes as far as he can to relate to his hearers, but without compromising his faith in Christ. And maybe if there's a lesson here for us this morning, it's perhaps that we need to treat people as individuals. Uh, evangelism or witnessing for Jesus is not just about having some sort of set formula or some sort of pre-prepared -pre speech that we just go around dumping on everyone that we meet. Um, I think this can be one of the problems, actually, about some of the ways that Christians have sought to witness and evangelize in the, the past. Um, they've learned the sort of four spiritual laws, or they've learned a, a good gospel outline, like um, two ways to live, perhaps. And of course, some of these resources are really great in terms of getting the gospel clear in our own heads. But we need to remember that we're dealing with individuals, um, like Paul do does here. We need to relate to our hearers. We all know the difference between just sort of somebody dumping a sales pitch on us and somebody who genuinely takes time to actually get to know us and relate to us. And I, I think Paul's saying it, it's exactly the same with the gospel. Uh, it's not just about a set formula and trying to get the words right. Uh, are there ways that we can be more winsome and can actually relate much better to those uh, who we come into contact with for the sake of Christ? And then we also see here that uh, Paul talks about Jesus. So really, I think the main question that Paul is trying to answer in this defense uh, is really, how comes someone Jewish like him ends up preaching the gospel to Gentiles, non-Jews, and including them in God's people? And I think Paul's answer is it's all about Jesus Christ and the difference that he has made to him. Uh, so let's look at how Paul um, retells his story. So maybe take your um, notice sheets again as uh, I read from verse 6 to verse 22. So then starting to read at verse 6, Paul recounts about noon. As I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to, to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. Notice how Paul is still leaning into his Jewishness. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. At that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. 
And now, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the, the temple, I fell into a, a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. And so hopefully you can see from that reading that uh, Paul spends all his time um, talking about Jesus. Uh, he talks about his life before Jesus, uh, how he was a, a persecutor of Christians, how he was uh, even there approving at the martyrdom of Stephen. And he also talks about the great difference that Jesus has made, how he's gone from being a, a persecutor of Christians to becoming a Christian himself, uh, how he went from darkness to light. And then he also talks about the, the task that Jesus has given him. So in verse 14 and 15, Ananias says to Paul, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And then later on we see that Jesus himself says to Paul when he appears to him in the temple in verse 21, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And all of that is, of course, far too much for the Jewish crowd uh, who once again cry out, Rid the earth of him. He's not fit to, to live in verse 22. And so hopefully you can see here that uh, Paul talks about Jesus. I think Paul's defense here is really that he has no choice um, it is true that uh, he was once an orthodox Jew, even persecuting Christians. It's true that he now preaches the gospel to non-Jews, Gentiles, so they can be included in God's people. What's made the difference to him is Jesus Christ. Jesus has appeared to him. He has encountered Jesus in a personal way. He's gone from darkness to light. He's been transformed and turned around so that now he can't but help to speak to people about Jesus. I think it's a reminder for each of us that at heart, if we are Christians, then uh, we are called to be witnesses for Jesus, like Paul was. Uh, we might all be at different stages of that. Uh, some of us might be more confident or we might have more, more experience than others. But if we're Christians, then we are all called to be witnesses for him. I think it's also a reminder for us here that at the end of the, the day, Christianity is all about Jesus Christ. It's not about people being good or moral. It's not about people holding to uh, certain doctrines, although, of course, doctrine is important. It's not about winning arguments. At the end of the, the day, our aim, if we are Christians, is to introduce people to a person, a person who is alive and who, can they, who they can know for themselves the person of Jesus Christ. I know this is something that often scares us. Uh, we don't want to be thought of as odd or weird. Uh, if we are a teenager, maybe, then we don't want to be the only one in our class who is known as a Christian. Um, sometimes we believe that the lie, that if we let people know that we are, are a Christian, then that they will all reject us. 
Of course, that may happen. Uh, it may be true occasionally, but it's certainly not true across the board. And so we see here that Paul makes the most of every opportunity. And if he can take opportunities like this, when there's a sort of bloodthirsty mob out to try and kill him, then uh, maybe his example can give us courage uh, to make the most of the uh, opportunities that we have and maybe to let people know around us uh, that we are Christians. However, what if we really feel that we aren't able to do this? Well, maybe one suggestion for somebody like you is, well, why not start with praying? Why not start with prayer? And especially, why not start by praying uh, for some of those people who are nearest you and may not be Christians? And so let me ask you, parents, uh, do you pray for your children every day? Not just um, do you pray for their exams or their sports or that they do well at school or even their behavior? But do you pray that they might come to know Jesus Christ? And do you pray that every day? Um, maybe for those of you who, who have parents who aren't Christians, do you pray for them every day? And again, not just praying for their health or their prosperity, maybe, but do you pray for their conversion to Christ? Uh, that they may see their need and that they would come to know him. Again, is that something that you pray every day? And then maybe if your children and parents are already Christians, then uh, maybe think about your work colleagues. Do you pray for them? Do you pray that your work colleagues or that those people that you rub shoulders with at playgroup or school um, might come to know Jesus? Again, that's something that you could pray every day. And then if your children and parents and work colleagues are all Christians already, which I guess is, is uh, theoretically possible, then uh, who would be the next circle out for you? Uh, where do you have meaningful relationships with those who aren't yet Christians? And if you haven't got any meaningful relationships with those who aren't yet Christians, then what are you doing about that? You see, I think one of the things we see here from Paul is just to share commitment to make the most of every opportunity to speak to others about Christ. Uh, he's eager to speak, he relates to his hearers, and he talks about Jesus. Um, he's a great model for us. I think, you know, we often tell ourselves that uh, no one's interested or that no one really wants to actually hear. But actually, I think that is just not true. Uh, if we start praying and if we start looking for opportunities, uh, then I think we're often surprised at the results and just how uh, open other people are. Uh, I've got one good friend, uh, someone I, I know reasonably well here in Hong Kong, and he's someone that I thought would never, ever, ever be interested. In fact, I was so convinced that he wouldn't be interested in uh, Jesus and the gospel that I wasn't even going to bother inviting him along to our carol services. Uh, however, I decided I would do it anyway, so I gave him one of our inv invitation cards and uh, invited him along. And to my great uh, su surprise, he actually said yes. So then, of course, I thought, well, he said yes, but he probably won't come. You know, he was probably just being polite, but he probably won't actually turn up. But he actually did, and he even brought his girlfriend uh, with him as well. Of course, that won't always happen, but it's interesting. I think it's something that's pretty universally true and that actually all the um, surveys bear out as well, that people are actually much more willing to hear than we are to tell. I think that can be a really great encouragement 
for us uh, that people are more willing to hear than we are to tell. And so that's something that can really motivate us to be praying and looking for opportunities uh, to speak about Jesus. But then there's one uh, last lesson from Paul uh, in this passage, uh, much more briefly, which is to entrust the results to God. And this really brings us to the last section there from verse 23 to 29. Uh, We're not sure what results Paul was hoping for from his defense. Uh, Maybe he hoped that he could persuade the crowd to uh, um, relent from their anger and uh, hostility to him. But if that was what he was hoping for, then he was to be sorely disappointed because instead they um, shouted all the more at the tops of their voices and uh, flung dust in the air in horror. And so the commander, again, orders the poor be brought into the barracks for a second time. Uh, the Romans are then about to flog Paul. They kind of uh, want to work out who he actually is and uh, why this commotion is, is so great. Uh, they're stretching him out on the rack when Paul says to them, I am a Roman citizen. To flog a Roman citizen was illegal, and so panic immediately breaks out in the Roman camp. Uh, Are they going to be held responsible for um, flogging someone who is a Roman without a proper trial? It's worth noting that there are only two ways that you could become a Roman citizen. Uh, One was by bribing your way in, which is obviously what the Roman commander had done here in verse 28. And then the other one was by being born a Roman citizen. Uh, And that, that is obviously what had happened to Paul. I think the big point, really, that Luke wants us to grasp is that God is always in control. It doesn't matter whether it's the circumstances of our lives, like where we are born, or whether it is in what happens to us in life. And, of course, we see both of those things here. God is always finally and completely in control, even if it doesn't feel like it at the time. Uh, For Paul here, I'm sure he was probably wondering, why has all this happened to me? Um, Why had the week started out so well, but yet it had ended up with him being misunderstood, abused, beaten up, almost killed, rescued by the Romans twice, and then only saved from being flogged by the Romans at the last minute. Uh, Why had all these bad things happened to him? It must have felt for Paul like everything was out of control. Uh, These chapters do almost feel chaotic as we read them. But yet I think what Luke wants us to grasp is that throughout all of this, Paul remained a faithful witness, and God is still in control. God had decreed that Paul would witness before him in Rome, and that God would get Paul there no matter what. I think all this is a great reassurance for us. Many of us may be facing many difficulties this morning. It uh, might not always be easy or straightforward to see what God is doing it might be hard to see, uh, why does my witnessing to this individual really feel like it's hit a brick wall? Uh, why have these difficult circumstances uh, happened to me in my life right now? Maybe it often feels like there are no answers uh, to those kinds of questions. But we can be assured here that God knows what he's doing and he's still in control. He's still working his purposes out and so we need to trust in him. Of course, unbeknown to Paul... His arrest at the hands of the Romans was actually the very first step on his long journey to Rome. 
And so, as we conclude, for those of us who are Christians this morning, this means that we can witness with confidence. We can live a life worthy of the gospel with confidence. We can make the most of every opportunity and speak about Jesus with confidence. We can leave the results of our witnessing to God with confidence, knowing that he is the one who is ultimately in control um, overall. And then for those of us here who aren't yet Christians, I wonder if you noticed here that that Paul really gives his life for something. Um, I wonder if you noticed here that Paul never stops preaching the gospel, no matter what. Uh, Even when he was misunderstood and even when he was threatened with death, uh, even when his life was in great danger, he was still preaching uh, about Jesus Christ. So if you're someone who isn't a Christian, I wonder what you are giving your life for this morning. What are you giving your life for? What is it that gives your life meaning and makes your life worthwhile? What is that thing that you speak about that consumes all of your energy and all of your time? Um, For Paul, that thing was the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think Paul's sheer persistence here shows us uh, just how important the gospel really is and the importance of coming to believe in that gospel for ourselves. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we want to give thanks for your word to us this morning. We give thanks for Paul's great persistence in witnessing for you, even in spite of so much danger and hardship. We ask that uh, you would grant us the same perspective that he had, and that you would help us to persevere in witnessing for you, uh, even when we find that challenging or difficult. Father, we pray that we would give our lives for something meaningful and something worthwhile and that we might live our lives for your glory. And uh, we ask uh, all of these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.